1749, a leading scientist in Europe began publishing a series of books anonymously. But rather than describing scientific theories or discoveries, these books described the author's encounters with a whole other dimension of being, vastly different from our own. Yep, you guessed it, we're talking about Emanuel Swedenborg and the spiritual world he described. While it shared some points of confluence with the physical world we inhabit, a lot of it was completely unlike anything people had seen. But fast forward 250 years and something peculiar started happening. The technology emerged that we now call the internet, and as it turns out, the way this new technology operates bears a striking resemblance to the spiritual world Swedenborg described a couple centuries ago. What similarities and what does that mean? Great questions and we'll try our best to answer them tonight. Welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg in Life. If you're in the U.S., hopefully the time change didn't trip you up and you got here with us. Uh, my name is Curtis Childs, and I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation. I also thought in this like beginning segment part, I should mention who Swedenborg is, like what the whole thing we're doing. In short, Swedenborg was, as we said in the intro, a scientist who began having what we would now call near-death or mystical experiences. He wrote them down, and we're slogging our way through them, trying to find out... Is, he, is it accurate? How does it resemble things? What? Can so that's what we're doing here. And if you guys want to be part of the conversation, you just got to get your questions and comments in through social media. However, you're absorbing the show right now. Write your comments in there. We'll try to grab them and answer them second half of the show. So this week, our show is entitled How the Spiritual World is Like the Internet. And you're actually going to get three things out of this show. One, you're going to get sort of a mechanics explanation of the spiritual world that Swedenborg described. You're going to get to know some of the, the physics, the things of how it works. Number two, you're going to get a tour of the internet, which you probably don't need at all, but it's just wrapped in there as part of the package deal. And then number three, you're also going to get a look at how the two collide. So, Let's take a look, and, and you know that's kind of the, the crux of the interestingness is that Swedenborg was saying all this stuff way back in the day, and now it's showing up in this technology that he never could have anticipated. So what does it mean? I don't know. But let's take a look first at thought. begin our journey today in the book Divine Providence. This is one of Swedenborg's books, and we're going to get right into what he wrote there and go from it. So, Divine Providence 29. In the spiritual world, all union takes place by means of attentiveness. When anyone there is thinking about someone else because of a desire to talk with her or him, that other person is immediately present. They see each other face to face. The same thing happens when someone is thinking about someone else because of a loving affection, but in this case, the result is a union, while in the former case, it is only presence. This phenomenon is unique to the spiritual world. The reason is that everyone there is spiritual. It's different in the physical world, where all of us are material. In this physical world, the same thing is happening in the feelings and thoughts of our spirits. But since there is space in this world, while in the spiritual world there only seems to be space, 
the things that happen in the thoughts of our spirits come out in actions there. So hopefully that's clear. He's saying that the way your mind works, you think about someone, you're, you're, automa- you're, you're not like, oh, I want to think about somebody who lives uh, 400 miles away, so I got to wait till my brain can cut. You, you think of them and they're immediately with you. He's saying that in the spiritual, that, that's the spirit that thinks in us. So in the spiritual world, you can actually move with at the speed thought. However, he says in there that, that that way of doing things, this immediate contact, this is a phenomenon unique to the spiritual world. Well, wrong. Well, at the time he was right, but now wrong, because we're seeing through technology something similar emerge, right? Think about Skype. If you have somebody you want to talk to, doesn't matter where they are, you think of them, you say, I want to talk to Uncle John, you can call him up, you can see him, interact with him, regardless of space in the world. It just takes thought. Also, there's other things. If you know of somebody and you want to befriend them on Facebook, you can just go in and start typing their name. It doesn't matter how far away they are, you can instantly connect with them and start to send messages unless you didn't, you downloaded the new Facebook app, which doesn't let you, you have to download the message app. It's a long story. The point is, you see Swedenborg in that quote, he's saying, this is how the spiritual world works. The physical world doesn't work like this. But now, you know, hundreds of years later, we're seeing the physical world is starting to work like this. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. There are differences, of course, uh, I would say low resolution, meaning even you guys watching through the computer screen to see me now, it's less clear of a picture than if you were here in person and you, uh, in all kinds of Skype communications, everything else, you're missing out on senses, smell, touch, taste, if you needed it. Uh, those things don't come through and you're not actually there with the person. You know, you're, you're right now you're interacting with me, but you're just seeing pixels on your screen lit up through data from what the camera is capturing here. The world Swedenborg describes, you're actually there. So it's not a perfect match. None of this stuff is going to be, but I think it's close enough that it's interesting and worth looking into. All right, so that's a simple one that we're going to start with, but now let's ramp it up a little bit in segment two. So we're going to introduce you to a very interesting concept that comes up all over Swedenborg's works. He states it pretty well here, true Christianity number 778. And if you're ever following along and you want to read more from these books around where we get it, in the description of the video, we have every quote there, and there's links to the books where you can download them for free. So you can feel free to connect in that way. He says... Angels can recognize, and remember, he's talking about angels because he reported having seen them for a long time. He's not just theorizing about it, this is what he says is eyewitness testimony. Angels can recognize the nature of our unique essence on the basis of nothing more than a brief conversation with us. From hearing the tone of our voice, angels sense what we love. And from hearing what we say, angels sense our level of understanding. So there's this instant recognition. You can have a guess about what somebody's like. If, the longer you've known them, the better your guess is, but it's still just a guess. You, you Can I trust them? Or do they mean what they say? You try to read their nonverbals, you know, or you pay attention to what they say and how consistent they are, but you don't really know. I, I think about in crime shows, you know, when, when you're watching one of those and turns out somebody did something really bad, everyone they interview says, oh, I never, never would have thought they, they could have done something like that. So there's not this, this phenomenon that Swedenborg is describing where can look at you and just hear you say something, and then they know what you're like. And it gets even more specific than that. If we look in Secrets of Heaven, number 
or 6623. I know you guys would have been really upset if I got the number wrong, because individual thoughts contain so much. Just a single word produced by thought reveals to angels what a spirit or person is like. We already said that, but here it goes a little deeper. This too was confirmed by experience when the mere word truth was spoken which was done by a large number of spirits, one after the other. So some kind of lineup of spirits who are like, okay, everyone, say it. Ready? Truth, 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 I could instantly hear whether the word was hard, rough, soft, childlike, treasured, innocent, full, empty, unsound, insincere, closed or open, and to what extent. In short, the actual quality of the underlying thought was audible. And this was only at a general level. What about at the level of detail that angels perceive? So, you st- there's some scenario. Swedenborg got to see a lot of really fascinating things. And this, you know, not something that you see every day. People are all lined up and it's like, okay, everybody say truth. And from the way you say it, it's obvious what, what kind of person you are. So, there's this instant recognition, which is not what you have in this world. Or at least it wasn't until the internet. If somebody comments, if I write something on Facebook and somebody comments on it that I don't know, I can just click on their picture and I go to their profile and I can, without even having met the person in real life, right away I know where they live, where they went to school, uh, you know, what's their relationship status, who are their friends, what groups are they a part of. It's all immediate. You think about reviews for places. If I'm going to go get pizza, rather than just walking into the store, I can go read. Everyone else who's already been there, what's this place like? And I can get a sense of that just from the people's comments there and instantaneously. Think about a plumber. If you were going to get a plumber, which unfortunately sometimes you have to do, I mean, fortunately because they fix things, but you never want water stuff going wrong. But what I mean is you would have a plumber coming in, and how do you know there is room within the profession, as there is in many professions, to to, uh, ratchet up costs over service, meaning, hey, you don't really need this, but I'm going to give it to you. Uh, or I'm going to do a bad job. So you don't know. You don't know how to trust someone. Before, all you could do is talk to them and like, how firm is their handshake? Do they have a nice looking van? You know, are they are they a legit person? But now you can go to Yelp and you can say, hey, everybody, what's this? You can learn where the plumber is, where they're located, but also people who have already gone through this, what's it like? What do you guys have to say about it? And you can get this detailed sort of information. So this is Again, it's a proxy, but it's seeming to emulate this thing Swedenborg was talking about. And it's not just from speaking in the next life that you can tell things about people. He even says that you could, just looking at someone's hands can tell you what they're like. In Heaven and Hell 463, he describes this phenomenon. When angels are, when we are being faced with our deeds after death, some people would call this a life review, maybe, in a a near-death experience. Angels who have been given the task of examining look searchingly into the face and continue their examination through the whole body, beginning with the fingers first of one hand, then of the other, and continuing through the whole. When I wondered why this was so, it was explained to me. The reason is that just as the details of our thought and intention are inscribed on our brains, because this is where their beginnings are, meaning that what you think shapes your neural pathways, so they are inscribed on the whole body as well. Since all the elements of our thought and intention move out into the body from their beginnings and take definition there in their outermost forms. So it's almost like every little part of you is a hologram 
that contains the whole of you. And if you know what you're looking for, you can see that and immediately know. And I feel like this kind of thing was just never possible before. If you think of somebody like, you know, in some kind of fake Hollywood medieval movie, it's some somebody new comes to town. How do you know anything about them? They claim they're from this order and they did this, they killed this dragon. You don't know. You just got to take their word for it. But now we can look them up. Uh, let's see. Nope, that dragon's still alive. It said it on Wikipedia. So then you can know, right? So this is the difference, and it's moving towards, I think, the world Swedenborg describes here on Earth. Of course, it's different. You're probably, some of you are probably already like, oh, come on, there, Facebook is nothing like you describe it. And what's, what do I mean? Image manipulation. If you look at Facebook, are you really seeing what people are like? I mean, I think we pretty much choose pictures that make us look as good as possible. We post, they, often we post things to try to make our life look really good. You have a lot of control. You can try, I mean, other people can tag you, but you have a lot of control. So there's, there's some of putting up a front you know, which is just like what you do in person if you're trying to convince someone that you were something you weren't. But there is tr- some truth in there. You know, there are some things that are verifiable and other people have input. So there's something in it. Also, uh, wisdom is light, is this concept that's different. The way Swedenborg described it, the nicer, the kinder, the more loving, which is to say the more wise pers- kind of person that you are in the spiritual world, you can see better meaning you can tell things about people. He actually says you have the light of heaven then, which can show things in their true essence. So you'd much ease, more easily be able to tell what people are like than somebody who, who is, is less than that. And here, we all see the same profile, no matter who we look at it. But there's, you know, there's some analogs in, in how savvy are you, but there it's, there's a moral component to the whole thing. So, those are a couple of social media human interaction examples, but I want to get down now to the mechanics of the web and the essence of spiritual life, and where do they parallel each other? So... Now we're going to talk about the basic elements of the essence of everything. And since that's such an important thing, I'm not just going to say it to you, I'm actually going to sing it to you. Are you ready? There are two basic elements that everything else came from. You could call one love and let's call the other wisdom. Amor sapientia, if that works better for you, or substance and form. The good and the true. So that's a clip out of another video that we have here on the channel, and you can go check out the rest of it. It's a song about the essence of life. Uh, and I wanted to know because you saw in there it said amor sapientia, those are the Latin words for love and wisdom. And Swedenborg, if you read any Swedenborg, you're going to come across this duality. He says that there are two essential elements in God. You could call them love and wisdom, good and truth. Um, essence and form, and that they, they radiate out into everything. We have two primary spiritual components, the, what is translated sometimes as the will or the volition, and then the other one is our intellect or our discernment, and that these are the two parts that make us human. So this, this duality is all over the place, and Swedenborg describes it in an interesting way here in Secrets of Heaven 3409. Truth is the form of good. That is to say, when good is formed so as to be perceived intellectually. So that that good, and it goes on at other places to say, good is sort of the underlying essence, and truth is the form. And this is the way that the web works. 
And if I tell you that, you might not believe me, but I got somebody who really knows the web to tell. So please give it a chance. So uh, the web evolved out of this HTML, hypertext markup language, which was basically a technology that allowed the research community to share documents and provide links from one document to the next. So you write a research paper on a particular subject, but I wrote something that was uh, uh, a supporting subject. You could link to my document basically to, to provide more information and more reference to what you're talking about, right? So this linking protocol allowed the science community to basically uh, associate their documents, right? But it basically was just a, a way to point to other things on other servers. So you'd click on the link, it would go get the file, it would transfer the file to your computer, your browser would then basically render the image or render the text with styling, and you'd see it. Uh, you know, that's the web at its basic format, and it's still pretty much doing the same thing today. It's got some other things that happen now where code can execute locally, and you can see some cool things happen on your page or interact, but it's basically the same, same concept. Okay, so I have two things to say about that, and I'm trying to decide which to say first. Before you forget, what was said there. Um, that's how the, he's talking about in the web. There are two, there is an underlying code, right? And then there is what gets pulled up on your browser on your screen. So remember that, but we accidentally there, and we'll fix it with an annotation later, but that said Dr. Edward Higgins on there. That's not Edward Higgins. If you watched the last show, you probably noticed like, man, he must've got a haircut because he doesn't look anything the same. That's James Horgan and we're going to have his credentials up there in an annotation. So hopefully by the time you're seeing this, we've already fixed it. Apologies to everyone whose reputation we've ruined in the process, everybody's, uh, including our own. So anyway, the point is, let, so let's, let's take all that and like put it to the side. The point is he's saying that there is this underlying um, code, right? Somewhere in a computer, this is HTML code, there's a server somewhere that actually has this on it. And actually, if I understand my computers right, which I probably don't, there is a physical component on some chip somewhere, there's ones and zeros that are holding this thing in its essential form, right? But it's not something we can interact with, or we don't know what it is, we look at it, it doesn't mean anything. So I sort of see this as like the good, or the underlying essence. But once you put it, you request it, and it comes up through your browser, it turns into something that you can read and interact with and understand. And to me, and th this is how the whole web works, and to me, this is just like when um, you have good and truth. There's an underlying essence, that, which is the page encoded on some server somewhere, and then there's the truth of it, which is this image that comes up when you request it. And it's not the thing itself. If you request that page, it shows up on your browser and you like throw your computer off a cliff. It doesn't kill the page. The page is still somewhere else. So to me, that seems like the good and the truth, the, the essence and the form. And that's how all these web pages work. So, but back to our conversation with James. Um, after we had, when we were shooting that little piece, he we had got into a longer conversation where he began to talk about uh, how he had seen a lot of the same parallels in his uh, sort of journey into learning about the web and founding a business in there and everything. And I thought it was fascinating enough that I think you all deserve to see it. So he's going to talk a little bit more about even more ways that, that Swedenborg's description of afterlife matches what we're seeing now on the web. I got into the web and the internet really, really early on when I was uh in college, um, you know, I was studying philosophy and religion, and and studying Swedenborg, and um, you know, was was really starting to 
expand and open my mind to the concepts of a spiritual world, life after death, you know, heaven and hell, um, the reality of life in this natural world, the spiritual world, um, angels, all of that. And uh, at the same time, uh, I had some professors that were interested in starting to leverage technology to actually help uh, with uh, translation work and research of Swedenborg's works on a global scale, basically connecting people uh, all over the world, you know, ministers, uh, scholars, connect them internationally so that they could start doing more research together. So now I'm looking at this and realizing, okay, well, this makes a lot of sense. You know, we've got a, a bunch of ministers and, and uh, scholars out there that need to research sense let's start connecting them together so we started to, so I dove into the technology and and really started to learn it you know and um, actually ended up building a business around it you know and, um, and, and and growing a pretty successful business in that space but in those early days when we were starting to understand what was happening I started to realize that there was this huge parallel between what was evolving online and the descriptions of the spiritual world that Swedenborg a lot of his memorable relations of the ability to instantly be thinking about somebody and you know I want to I'm thinking about my dad right well I can send him a text I mean today I can FaceTime him. you know I can just pull him up and there he is on this screen I'm talking to my dad in real time even though he's he's a thousand miles away down in Florida right I could have communities of people that have common interests you know um, my, my wife has a Mini Cooper and I love to maintain it myself, you know, but it's, there's some weird quirks about how to do the maintenance on the Mini. There's a whole community out there of people that like take the time to, to do the maintenance on their cars and, and record what they're doing and explain the maintenance and how to do it and support each other. So there's common interest communities that all can come together. And these people are all over the world, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter where they are, it doesn't matter when they recorded it. I can have that experience with that community instantly because of the internet, it just makes that possible. Um, knowledge, you know, the ability to learn, um, to, to learn truths, right? Most people, thousands of years ago, you know, the only way you could get truths was probably like through some sage, some priest, you know, who was the authority, right? So you had to hear from this priest the truth, right? Well now, Swedenborg says now it's permitted. Now you can go out there and you can you can find the truth, right? Um, it's interesting, you know, another parallel is there's good and evil out there, right? So there's a lot of good stuff, there's a lot of good truth. I mean, what you guys are doing is fantastic, right? You're spreading this truth, you're spreading this awareness. But there's other stuff out there that's not real, it's not true. And so I'm in freedom to follow those paths and decide what resonates with me as truth and what is not real. You know, I can, I can go into some hellish stuff if I want, that's my choice. There's a self-leveling effect on the internet, right? And, and I think it's actually pretty cool to watch how the good always becomes the dominant, right? Bad things happen, but there's a greater population of people that can just have an opinion very quickly, right? And, and very quickly say, we don't like this, this is not good you know, and, and change that tide and, and self-level. And it's, it's very cool how that happens. And I think it's probably very similar in the spiritual world where, you know, if something hellish shows up, the good just kind of says, no, we don't want that. And it just balances back, goes back into balance, which I think is key, balance. And I think the phenomenon he's talking about there, 
there's an example, which I never saw for myself, but I heard about. So if it doesn't exist, then it must have been deleted or something like that. But there was somebody who was dancing and they maybe weren't like that cool or good looking and they got filmed or took a picture of or something. And then there was another picture and it said, ha ha, look, this, this idiot was trying to dance. And then we all laughed at him. And then he looked like this. And the whole web came out in support of them. Like uh, Pharrell was going to say, no, dance with me. Da, da, da. So there was this whole uproar of like, hey, we're, actually, we're going to support this person. This is So someone comes out with something evil and then everyone rallies behind to say, no, we want good. And if that example never really happened, then just pretend it did. And then that's, the, that's the effect. You can apply it to other things. So the, that, the interview we just had with James proves that it's not just me who has this recognition that Swedenborg's spiritual world, as he described in the mid-1700s, has a lot of parallels to the world that we're now just gaining in the last couple decades through technology. So in that spirit of looking ahead of Swedenborg's time, we're going to do, we often do this correspondences thing on the show where the correspondences is a word Swedenborg used to describe the imagery of physical objects, meaning that the things we see in the physical world can be symbols or images of deeper spiritual things. And by looking at the physical thing, we can actually get insight into the spiritual thing behind it right? So we're going to look at satellites today, but obviously satellites were not mentioned in Swedenborg's works. They hadn't been invented yet, but they have to have a correspondence anyway, because Swedenborg says that this physical world is a mirror of sorts of the spiritual world. Everything here is a response to things that are going on in the spiritual world. We're talking in this show about how the spiritual world works, like the web, that it has this instant connection. You can know anything about someone, the kind of things that are happening now. And in this world, that stuff is happening in part because of satellites and their ability to relay signals instantly or very close to instantly around the world. So whatever is in the spiritual world, letting that happen is sort of the spiritual version of a satellite. It doesn't mean it looks like one or functions like it, but they're doing the same thing. And that's why their correspondence is. So we're going to look at some imagery of satellites here and just open your mind a bit and hopefully you can get a little sense of like, there's something like this in the spiritual world. So yeah, that last one is not a picture of a satellite, but it's sort of like a satellite eye view or a little above of the that the lights connecting everything is this sense of this like connected world. And I know that's not good for birds that are flying around, but we're trying to fix that. Hopefully we can all coexist soon, but there is cool imagery there. So uh, this is like halfway through the show. Hopefully you're semi-confused at least and you have some questions or comments to get in. Remember, type those in and we're going to get to them in the second half of the show. For now... We're going to move on and take a look at common knowledge. And this segment is going to begin with the story of when I first got a smartphone. 
It's really it's a riveting story. Um, so I got a smartphone, um, and once I was at this like party type thing, like a gathering of people, and it really struck me that if anybody wants to know anything about anything, I know the answer to it. Because someone just had to say, hey, do you know if da-da-da? And I can just... No. I I now carry around with me a device that lets me know everything. Everywhere I go, I can know everything about everything. Pretty much. Um, And this, you know, that's worn off by now. I barely notice it anymore. But for that moment, you know, this was a a thing that gave me the knowledge of the whole human race. It's just amazing that now centuries worth of research and development, technology, psychology, everything there is at the fingertips. There is this amazing um, drawing together of everything we can know, and it's given to everyone. Uh, Is there anything like that in the world that Swedenborg describes, the spiritual world? Uh, yes, or else why would we include it? So let's look at where he says that. This is Secrets of Heaven 5859. We're jumping right into the middle of something here, so don't worry about it. This is another reason why good spirits, when they go to a community in heaven, appropriate as their own all the wisdom shared by everyone in that community. Such is the common bond there. They share in wisdom even if during physical life they had been totally ignorant on the kinds of topics that community discusses. As long as they had lived a life of charitable goodness in the world, it is inherent in such goodness to make all wisdom its own. The tendency is intrinsic to goodness itself. As a result, such spirits understand spontaneously, so to speak, what had been incomprehensible and even ineffable to them during bodily life. So there you have this sort of pairing of love and wisdom. He's saying, if your heart's right, the knowledge comes. And you hear, if you read modern near-death experiences, people will talk about, they'll say, I got a, they call it a knowledge download sometimes. They even use like internet type terms. I got a download of all, or suddenly I knew everything. Or all these things I never knew before. is saying that this happens in the spiritual world. He goes on to describe it further in Heaven and Hell. We may gather how great angels are from the fact that in heaven there is a communication that involves everyone. The intelligence and wisdom of one individual is shared with another. Heaven is where everyone shares everything of value. This is because the very nature of heavenly love is to want what is one's own to belong to another. So no one in heaven regards his or her good as authentically good unless it is someone else's as well. Isn't that an interesting take on life to say, uh, you know, this thing that I have, whatever it is, is I only really feel like it's legit if someone else is participating in it too. That's kind of cool. This is also the basis of heaven's happiness. Angels are led into it by the Lord, whose divine love has this same quality. I have also been granted knowledge by experience of this kind of communication in the heavens. Once some simple people were taken up into heaven, and after they arrived, they arrived also at angelic wisdom. They understood things they could not grasp before and said things they could not express in their former state. So, you get there, and if your heart's right, suddenly you have all this knowledge that you can work with. And we see this this sort of communal knowledge, as I was mentioning, on the web. And even more specifically, places like Wikipedia, you have all this free information, or Wikimedia Commons, where you can download um, like all kinds of... uh, 
free photos that is sort of a, a pulling together of elements from all over the web, right? And this is this is for everybody, anytime, all the time. Uh, there's a website I'd love to shout out, Pixabay. We This is like free images there, and we use a lot of their stuff there. So thank you guys. Because of what they do, that lets us do what we do. Uh, so you see a little bit of this heavenliness. So is Wikipedia something of heaven? I don't know. Sometimes it feels like that. Uh, so there's that. Of course, there are differences. What are the differences? Uh, I would say comprehension transmission, meaning I can have my phone and somebody says, you know, how does photosynthesis work? And I look it up and I still don't understand how photosynthesis works. That there, it's very much, you know, I, these things I suddenly know, enough that I can speak from them. There's this instant sort of comprehension and also the, the love component. That, that as Swedenborg was describing in those numbers, if you love what's good, then the wisdom comes to you. And he also describes on the flip side, if you're, you're in selfish or hellish love, that you you chase after the knowledge of how to do bad things. So that, that it's sort, and we sort of have that here, but just not to the same extent. So obviously there, there are some differences. So that's an idea of, of how this whole thing can be emulated. This whole spiritual world is being emulated by physical technology. Who would have known? Um, so finally, Let's take a look at hashtags. So, me being like a tech savvy, like super hip guy on the internet, you know, I learned about hashtags um, the way that all super hip tech people do it. Like I was listening to an NPR story that was like somebody was talking to because I didn't use Twitter. I, I still barely know how to use it. And somebody was explaining hashtags. So that's how I first learned hashtags. And there's a very specific tie-in with what Swedenborg wrote in hashtags. And I had a little chat with with Chelsea Odner about this, who's been a guest on our show. And she had this cool thought where she tied the hashtag, Swedenborg's experience, and some Buddhist philosophy together. So I want to share that with you now. If I want to, if I have a question about sewing, um, then all I have to do is go online and go to a certain search engine and then I can type in a few keywords and all of a sudden I'm connected to a whole world of people who have made sewing their life. You know, I just want to know how to hem a pair of pants, but then all of a sudden I'm connected to these blogs, there's videos, there's stores, everything, people who are invested in sewing and um, I'm able to be instantly connected to that world. And so Swedenborg learned in his experiences, that that's happening all the time with his thoughts. He would just have to be thinking about something, and then he was immediately connected to this whole world of people who made that their life. Um, and I know in his experiences, it often had to do with what chapter of the word he was reading, that he just happened to be connected to this world of people who had really thought about that and wanted to come have conversations with him. So he was aware of it, but we aren't conscious of it all the time, but it's still happening. And um, so, like, for example, there's this um, Buddhist meditation practice that's called Tonglen. And um, when you practice Tonglen, you become aware of whatever it is that is your suffering, whatever's going on for you. And um, you expand it and you think about everybody in the world who might be suffering in that particular way that you are. And so... Um, 
you know, so if I'm stuck at home and I'm feeling really anxious about something, um, then I can think about everybody in the world who might be feeling the same way I am. And then what you do is you think about what quality would remedy that. Like, what would you want to do for somebody who is suffering in that way? And so you think about, you know, if it's anxiousness, you might think about trust that things are going to work out okay. You'd want to be able to offer that to somebody else. Um, and so in Tonglen, you actually breathe in the suffering and then you breathe out this, um, the, you exhale thinking about the quality that you want to send out to all these other people who are suffering in that way. And so in a way, spiritually what's going on, it's, um, well, it's kind of like hashtags. So you, um, when you're in that suffering or you're aware of the suffering that might, that all of these people might be experiencing, it's like hashtag anxiousness. Then everybody in the spiritual world, you are connected with people who are feeling that same way, but you can actually help people beyond just yourself by focusing on, you know, trust that things will turn out okay. When you make that thought your focus, it, it ripples out and affects, you're connecting to a whole other swath of the spiritual world that focuses individuals who focus their lives on trusting that things will turn out okay. And so in a way we're able, in our own minds, we're just thinking these thoughts, we're going back and forth between anxiousness and trust, but really I think we're drawing these possibilities together in the spiritual world so other people who are suffering with anxiousness could come in to a greater sense of trust in that situation. In case you missed that NPR article that explained what hashtags were, a hashtag is just something you put on a piece of content that pulls it into a larger conversation. Anybody who's wondering about this particular conversation can search that hashtag. All this content comes up. And Swedenborg experienced this in a very interesting way, as Chelsea was mentioning. He would be writing something you know, one of these books that we're reading now or something, and he would have spirits come to him and say, hey, we heard you were writing about this, or we heard you were thinking about this, that somehow they can, from wherever they are, they can sense something's going on here that I'm interested in. This conversation is connected to me. And you see this on the web in, in all, all kinds of social media uses hashtags now, and it's because it's a similar phenomenon that you can plug into a conversation anywhere. So I think that that's pretty cool. Speaking of plugging into conversations, if you're enjoying the show, please click the like button. Only if you're enjoying it, don't do it if you're not, because that gets this YouTube to know this video is something legit, and it'll spread it out to other people who are crawling through YouTube. So that's the way we can kind of put a hashtag good on this thing. But isn't that, So back to the Swedenborg conversation. I feel like that's really interesting that here we start to develop this strange bit of social media technology that makes it so everyone who's talking about a certain thing is connected. And that Swedenborg had this pretty clearly in a lot of instances when he was writing about something, thinking about something, and makes you think about your thoughts in a different way. What am I pulling towards me? What am I? What conversations am I joining, and do I really want to join that? So obviously there, there would be differences to um, uh, more than 140 characters meaning there's depth, you know, that sometimes people are critical of online conversation because they feel like it's shallower than regular conversation. Whether or not it is, certainly sometimes it can be, but the communication Swedenborg describes in the spiritual world is so deep and complex, so it's kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, although texting can be really great because there really are things that it's just not 
good to call someone about. Like it's just if it, you called, it would be this big deal. So I'm I'm on the fence about whether or not these short bits of communication are better or worse. Probably different cases, different applications. You didn't need to know that, but I needed to get it off my chest. So I appreciate it. All right. So we've we've taken you through all these things in a row. Why? Why did we take you through them? That's what we'll try to answer in our next segment. Okay, so this is the part of the show where we try to tell you why we took you on this show journey in the first place. However, this is your classic bait and switch because I said this segment would be about why it matters, but really I have two sort of miscellaneous points that didn't fit in any of the other sections, so I'm just sticking them in right here. And then I promise we'll get to to why it matters. Uh, One I want to talk about is the equilibrium of freedom. So Swedenborg wrote, freedom originates from the equilibrium between heaven and hell. And he goes on to write that we are in that equilibrium in our minds. You know, we're in the equilibrium between heavenly good things and hellish bad things. So it's going to show up in anything we do. In any of this stuff that I listed here, you might say like, I hope the spiritual world isn't like that particular platform because I hate that platform. So it could well be if you do, it's because there's an inner, you've been interacting, you know, you've gotten some of the hell side of things. And I don't need to list what's heavenly or hellish about all of these. We all know and uh, all kinds of negative stuff, and then all kinds of good stuff. But it's just interesting to see humanity show up there and this equilibrium sort of show up, and that we can even within the web be looking at this heaven or hell. And James mentioned that earlier in the show. So I want to say that. And second, that there's a, a f- another phenomenon that's like the spiritual world is our show. And I don't mean our show in particular, I mean the way we're using... We, these are all graphics from previous episodes of the show. That we're using imagery right alongside words to try to communicate concepts, right? And that is something that Swedenborg describes as being commonplace spontaneously organically in the afterlife. If we're having a conversation and I'm communicating ideas to you, I can represent them through imagery and and sort of deeper mediums. Uh, So somehow that's trickling down here. And now you you can communicate ideas. It's not just our, our show online, obviously, that does it. People all over media, news, TV, all over the web are using this picture and information at the same time with music. It's all kind of tying together to give you this really potent communication tool. And that this is a bit of a mirror of how communication happens in the spiritual world. Again, not to that. So those are the two extras. Now we're actually talking about why it matters. And I have two thoughts, and they're halfway formed each. One is, is this an like, as in heaven, so upon the earth? thing. Is this, the, is this technology, this internet stuff that we're talking about, is this the physical world striving to become like the spiritual world? Is this an influx of the spiritual world into the physical world to make it like that? Is it something we can be excited, even though there are, there are good, it's a mixed bag, but is it something that's going to enable us to have the kind of life that mirrors what's going on in the spiritual world, or even open a connection with that somehow? I don't know, but those are some thoughts worth thinking. Also, uh, another one that's kind of along those lines is, is this sort of a workaround, this, this using technology to emulate these spiritual qualities? Is it, is it like an artificial hip? You know, this, because Swedenborg talks about ancient people, back in the day, the human race having this open 
connection with the spiritual world, meaning that all this stuff we're talking about, they can access right through the Spirit. And some people seem to have that kind of thing today, but it's very rare in comparison. So is it like, okay, we've kind of blocked off this spiritual connection within ourselves, but since we can't do that, we can kind of cobble together, you know, divine providence is cobbling together this physical thing to kind of to get us there in spite of ourselves. I don't know. Those are my thoughts on that. I want to hear your thoughts on it. We're going to get to your questions and comments right after this video break. So we got a good batch of questions today. I'm going to try to answer them in a timely fashion so we can get to them all. Let's take a look at our first one. Oops, that sorry. That's taking a look at our video from before. There we go. This is from Hans on YouTube. Is human happiness or joy and fulfillment the ultimate good or goal? Uh, Swedenborg writes, Divine Providence, which if you're talking about ultimate goals or ultimate goods... He's, Swedenborg writes, divine providence is the, the force that is God's operation in the universe. So it's him trying to accomplish this ultimate goal. And Swedenborg says, divine providence has for its end a heaven from the human race. Or that's the goal. Another way he states it is that the point, the divine providence, and I have to paraphrase this one, is that there may be a union, an eternal union of the creator with the created universe. And the, yes, the answer, in short, yes. Swedenborg talks about God has created people to make them happy, Um, and that, believe it or not, this complex, painful thing that we call life now is a step towards this happiness, that because of the things we're going through here, because of the realness of this world, there is a greater potential eternal happiness, and that that's the point. Everybody, everything that's conscious, you know, everyone who's conscious being happy, I mean, that's that sounds like the ultimate goal to me. So that, that, those are my thoughts on it. Thanks very much for the question. Let's take a look now. This is Lisa. Uh, four times in Re- on Facebook, four times in Revelation, it mentions the second death. What does that mean? Yeah, that's a great question. And I believe, and you can check it out if you have, there's a couple of Swedenborg searches on the web, but I believe the second death is, you know, the phys- there's a physical death. The second death is the what Swedenborg would call the death of the spirit, which is the rejection of good and the um, gravitation towards an assimilation of evil. Swedenborg would call it hell, the mindset of hell. People who are in that mindset wouldn't say that they're dead. They'd say, I'm alive, like, I love this, I'm doing, I'm trying to do harmful things and I'm obsessed with it. But Swedenborg calls that death because what what has life in it is love. I mean, that, that's, that's what's true and that's what's alive. The, to actually realize, hey, there are other people and I need to not harm them and I need to help and that we can work together and feel these true, genuine feelings rather than like the buzz of power or something like that. So in Swedenborg, the second death is the death of the spirit, meaning that all the things that are coming into you, all the things you thrive on are these dead kind of things. Not that necessarily people who are there know that they're dead, but the way Swedenborg describes it, that's the second death. 
I think that's right. So hopefully that's right. Thanks very much for the question. Let's take a look at our next one. Drive-By Poet on YouTube. Earlier you said that the divine essence could be expressed in other ways, like will and rationality. Can you talk more about how that's expressed in different ways and, and what will and rationality are? Yes, certainly. So we went through, Swedenborg has, there's always a duality. There's, and there's two that go with each other. There's love and wisdom. There's good and truth. And then will and intellect, this, this is sort of um, the receptacles for these two divine forces in us. He says there are two primary parts of a human being, the will or the emotive, you know, the, there's a lot of different words that can be translated as, but it's basically your, your emotional side, your, like, your urges, your desires, all that kind of thing. And then there's the, the side of thought. There's a side of what you know, and it's not, it may be more complex than that. There are certain passages he, where it seems to indicate that there's more subtleties to each of them, but that's sort of the basics of it. And he says that those are the two ways we receive these, this life from God, and that when those two are in harmony, as in what we know is right and what we want to do are the same things, then that's heaven. That, that's, that's it woven into one. He calls it the heavenly marriage. And that actually in our bodies, the lungs correspond or interact with the intellect and the heart interacts with the will or with love. So that the, the lungs are like the physical receiver of the divine truth and the heart, the divine love. And that in that, that sentiment right there, the heart and lungs echoes all, there's a huge, all throughout his work, there's a huge segment in divine love and wisdom, or maybe divine providence, where he talks about that. We had a show a little while ago called The Shape of Heaven, which was about the form of heaven being like the human form and the heart and the lungs being central to that. That's all over Swedenborg's stuff. Um, the way he describes it now, the one more thing about it is that currently, in the current state of humanity, um, the will has a corruption problem, meaning that we all kind of have tendencies towards selfishness, so there's kind of this separation of thought and feeling, and this actually ties really nicely into what we were saying before, because before we were talking about how you don't always act like who you really are. You can think, well, I want to appear this way to these, like, let's say I'm doing a show, and I want to appear this way to these people who are watching online, and I can, I can manipulate it, I can try to make that, but if I'm really, like, feeling a different way inside, it can happen. But when the will and intellect are joined, then you Every, you have no filter. Everything you're thinking, you say. So physical life, in a way, is is here because it gives us this separation where you can have internal stuff and external stuff. So we have a chance to kind of get ourselves straight before, because right now, we all started just saying everything we thought and felt. It'd be a mess, but it, it, through Reformation, it gets to more and more be like, oh, I want people to know what I'm really like inside. And I, you know, so... Those are a few of my thoughts. There's a lot more out there. It's a great question. Really appreciate it. All right, so let's take a look at our next one. This is on Keith on YouTube. I can relate to the knowledge download. What happens when you are talking and taking in a lot of information and then you f fall to a lower state? How do you get back again, especially when you have entities hacking your network? Swedenborg does says that we just. This is good because this kind of ties in. It's a lot easier to travel vertically on the intellectual side of things than it is on the will side of things. He describes people who are in a hellish state 
um, who have have made sort of the, the doing of evil their primary joy in life, they can, on the intellectual side, they can be taken up to heaven, to a heavenly mindset. They can be explained to uh, all the truths of life and why you should, and they can even acknowledge it. But as soon as they're out of that light, they get back down into their their will side or their love side. And as soon as you love something that's contrary to what you've learned, you start to f- look for ways to discount the thing that doesn't go with your worldview. You know, we see that, that, that if there's something you want to believe, you pick out the things that, that help you believe it. So as far as how do you ascend and descend, especially if you're getting some interference, it's a great question. I'm not going to have really helpful answers to that. Um, I, I sometimes see it as like weather, that there, there are times when there's clouds. It's overcast and you can't see through no matter what. I find that if I'm in a lower sort of state of mind, meaning I remember, like right now I'm kind of tied up in petty things and I'm worried about things that I shouldn't be worried about. I don't feel very in control or very spiritual. Um, there are, and I know that because I remember feeling differently. There's times when I just can't really do much to break through, and I just have to think about, okay, it's overcast today. I'm just going to wait and see if the clouds part, because if I try to break through then, it doesn't really work. However, as far as traveling that, I would say, you know, wherever you get your truth from, go back there. Like when I, if I'm in sort of a lower state, obviously I'm into Swedenborg. If I go and read even a little bit of it and start to get into that world, I find my level elevating. If you have something, you go to a sacred text or some kind of body of knowledge. To me, that's been the quickest ladder to get back to, oh yeah, I remember that. Another one is is conversations. You know, anything, any negative influence inside works on you and how you think and feel. Other people, you hear their perspective, it can really change how you're... Th- so if you have someone who's close enough to you that they would talk about that particular subject with you, I've found for me that can sort of break up the clouds. So those are some of my thoughts. I really appreciate the question. If any of you guys out there have thoughts on that, you can go ahead and write in the chat room, write to Keith, say what you've learned, because there's probably people with good experiences around that. Okay, let's get to our next one. This is Lee on YouTube. What if people who lived thousands of years ago, have they come back in different bodies, such as the present day time? What if Jesus saying he will return? It's a great question. Uh, as And there are differing thoughts, of course, uh, on do we come back to this world, do we not? Swedenborg describes uh, that there are permanent life stages, just like there's a womb and we're developing in the womb. Then we get born into this world, you don't go back. You go into this world, and then he describes you go into the next world, and you continue to grow and change there, but you don't come back this. You don't reverse the growth trend and come back to the earth. He says that he talked to people who were alive thousands of years ago, and they're still there, and they're still learning and growing. He even says at one point that Every st- even someone who's been in heaven learning and growing like crazy for thousands of years, every stage that you're ever in is just like an egg to the next stage. You know, there is this constant renewal and rebirth, but he wouldn't, I don't, yeah, he wouldn't say that you come back to, to planet Earth in, in the Milky Way galaxy and relive a life here. Other people have differing opinions. That's fine. Oh, Jesus saying he would return. That is for a whole other show. I will give you the the brief answer is that the second coming of Jesus is is not a physical one where Jesus is going to appear again as a person. It's a coming of God into people's minds. 
that this is going to be something that happens. And we're actually going to talk about it, I think, three weeks from now when we discuss the spiritual future of the human race. We're going to actually talk all about this, that there's going to be a new way that people think and feel, and this is going to rocket the world into a better life. And that is the return of Jesus, as Swedenborg saw it. So that's a great question. Let's get to one more to wrap it up here. This is from Keith on YouTube. What do you do when barraged with intrusive thoughts and have energy blockages in your body and you feel weighed down? <clears throat> I've been there. I mean, I've been completely barraged by negative thoughts. It's sometimes hard to go to sleep. I'll get so many of them. The only thing that's really effective to me is there's a video called on this YouTube channel called Spiritual Toolkit. How, I think it's called How to Deal with Unwanted Thoughts that you can look up. And what that describes is that my most effective technique that I've found is to have short repeatable mantras that are based in what you consider a higher truth. So if, you know, if you have something like there's a a piece of the Bible or of some other, or of Swedenborg, or of something that someone said once that feels really true to you, and it, it gives you a message of hope and trust and that there's a higher power, or whatever it is that's sort of the antidote to the attack you're getting right then. For instance, if it's a worry about the future, if you have something that says, like, do not worry about tomorrow, Jesus says that. Um, If you repeat something like that to your thoughts rather than engaging with them or trying to interact with them or something, I found that having a few of those and just repeating them is the most effective thing because it's a reminder there's something greater and it sort of takes away the conversation, takes away the power, and it just sort of, oh, you know, this guy's just stonewalling us, the negative thoughts say. So that's my thought on that. Um, that, That's my best technique. If anybody else has them, please share because we all want to know that stuff. All right, so I'm almost running out of voice, so I'll just do one more. We had one question pop up, and then we'll take it for the day. Okay, so this is from Hans on YouTube. Is it safe to assume that Swedenborg gets some things wrong? Uh, Yeah, probably, I mean, um, there's. I think there's some things you could verify right now are, well, wrong as in details, like oh, he says there's this and that, but I think it's safe to, it's definitely safe to assume that, because going in with that mindset, I don't want people looking at Swedenborg and taking everything he says because it because he says it. I mean, that's not where it comes from for me. It's taking stuff that, that's potentially useful, like we were just talking about in the last question, um, how do you how do you use this stuff to better your life and help you with things? Take that stuff, use it, find parallels in in life for other things that he says. Once you're seeing that those are working, then it's not as much about is everything right or wrong. Um, I don't know, you know. Yeah, there's got to be some things, um, and I say it's always safe to assume that because it keeps you questioning and trying to learn for yourself. Which actually, going back to Swedenborg, he says it's important to use your own rationality in this. So you don't want to put that to bed. You you want to have a certain amount of affirmativeness or you'll just deny everything, but you want to be looking at it for yourself too. So that's great. Thanks everyone so much for those. Those are really thoughtful questions and I really like getting into the conversation with you. If you guys want to help this show grow and expand and, and continue, please consider making a donation. This is all put on by the nonprofit Swedenborg Foundation. Your donation will be tax deductible. So if you're into that, that's there. And... um. <clears throat> I had to clear my throat because I have a very special announcement. Next week, have you guys ever heard of a near-death experience? Do you know why we call them near-death experiences? It's because Raymond Moody coined that term in his book, Life After Life in the 80s. And we actually have Raymond Moody on the show 
next week. We're going to have the guy who wrote Life After Life, New York Times, best-selling author. He's going to be coming on with two other researchers, and we're going to talk about their latest projects. So we hope you guys will join us for that next Monday right here. Thank you.